0: Good morning everyone. Good morning, good morning. okay. so it 's good to gather together again really excited for this morning God 's so with us already isn 't he? and um, i 've got something to share and let 's see where God leads us with it. okay, so I hope you're enjoying our current series in imperfect people in the hands of a perfect God um, We're looking at different flawed characters in the Old Testament. And by the way, these aren't just characters in a story. These are real people that walked on this earth, um, just ordinary men and women um, who carried something of Jesus and shared something of Jesus to people. And we're going to be drawing on different weaknesses, different sins, different apparent disqualifications that people might have had. And we're basically going to be sharing the same message um, again each week, but just repackaged in a different way. And we think this is important because we really feel that this is a message that we all need to kind of get and let it really go deep within us, that God wants to use us. God wants to use you. And not despite of all your failures and your history, but because of all your failures and because of your history, because of your sin, because of your experiences, because of your upbringing, it's because of that that God wants to use those things to draw other broken people into his kingdom, into his family, into the church. And for a long time, I've just been passionate about the kind of the priesthood of the believers. I've never been a fan of it just being led from the front. I believe it's all of us working together. The church only really functions properly when it's the body ministry. And um, and we're only going to reach this kind of diverse community when together as a diverse church, we all gather together and bring our role to play. So um, it mustn't just fall on a few. It's got to be for everyone to rise up. So today I'm going to look at one of the heroes of faith, Moses, um, probably known for things like parting the Red Sea, for the, you know, the, the ten plagues that were, came against Egypt, or the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, you can all read about at another time in Exodus and um, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um. But maybe when you remember some of these extraordinary parts of his life, you forget that his humble beginnings were just a, an abandoned child. Or maybe later in his life, that he was actually a murderer, that he, he killed an Egyptian slave driver and buried him in the sand. Maybe these aren't the things that we remember. And Moses is past might have disqualified him. He may have thought that these are the things that disqualified him from being used by God. How wrong was he? So we're going to pick up in Exodus Exodus 3 and 4, and uh, we're going to read uh, a bit in the passage where the Lord appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. So I want you to imagine that you are Moses and the Lord is speaking to you through this amazing image of this burning bush. And the Lord speaks to Moses and says these things. We're going to pick up from verse 9 of chapter 3. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. This is the Lord saying this. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord Is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then we'll drop down to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. We'll stop there. So I guess the question I want to pose to you is if you... Had this proposal from God to you that I am sending you to bring freedom to the people, how would you respond? Could you identify with the way Moses has responded with several of his objections? I believe that we've all been called. We've all been chosen. We've all been appointed. We've all been sent by God to actually lead people out of the slavery of sin and into freedom, which is found in Jesus Christ. I believe that's our commission to each one of us. So we're no different to Moses. But maybe we can relate to how Moses ducks and squirms and tries to wriggle out of this commissioning. So we're going to look at some of his objections. So chapter 3, verse 11... His first objection is, who am I? Who am I? This may have been kind of motivated by the the thought of how he lost his temper and killed a man and now is running, scared from the scene of the crime and is pretending to be someone else. and He's just hiding in shame, hoping not to get caught, or maybe just... In his current situation, he's just despising his shepherd life of looking after his father-in-law's sheep. I think this question is about who am I is a really good question that we should all ask ourselves. Who am I? I think if I asked everyone here, who are you, I would get lots of different responses. But I think we'd probably respond with the things that we do, the the function that we play. We We might say... I'm an accountant or a barista or, I don't know, a teacher, a care worker. You might say I'm a mother or a father, a daughter or a son. You might say I'm a son or a daughter or a, a marriage. Maybe you'll say you're single. Maybe, maybe you're defined in another way. How do you define yourself? How do you, what do, if someone said, who are you, what would you say? Maybe you'd say, I'm a vegan, I'm a misunderstood teenager, an alcoholic, a victim, I'm a sick patient, a failure, or maybe like Moses, a murderer, and a fugitive. It's so important that we don't define who we are by our circumstances, or even the role that we do. We don't define ourselves by our sin or even sins against us. How do we define ourselves? Well, it's really interesting. God's response to Moses' question, Who am I? He says this I will be with you. Well, that doesn't really help, does it? Well, it does. And I'll tell you why because we are defined by who is with us. Our Father gives us context. Our relationship with Him gives us meaning and purpose, sense of belonging and identity. When people ask you, Who are you? Wouldn't it be better if we said something along the lines, I'm the King's beloved. This is who I am. He has chosen and adopted me to be in His family. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm his workmanship created for good works. This is who I am. If God is for us and is with us, who or what can stand against us? I really want to linger on this point a bit longer about the Lord's response. I will be with you. I don't want to go on too quickly. I think, We need to fully grasp the significance of this encouragement, that he is with us. Everything that comes from our lives, I believe, flows from us knowing deep down that we are in his presence. That's where there is joy. That's where there is freedom. That we're in his presence. He's made the way clear that we can come into his presence. Moses acknowledges the importance and the centrality of the presence of God later in Exodus when he says... What else will distinguish me and your people if your presence doesn't go with us? It's that important. So I encourage us. Let's be a presence-centered people. Are we personally? Are we corporately as a church, as a family? Are we acknowledging his presence and the work of the Spirit? Are we hungry to listen to learn and be guided by him. Do we give space to be led and respond to his presence? I believe there's certain ways that, we, can, that we, we learn. But I believe one of the things about the presence of God, we can't learn through reading a book. We can't learn through listening to a sermon even or going to a, a seminar series or a conference about the presence of God. It's only through experience. Otherwise, we're just relying on secondhand, other people's experiences of the presence. Psalms declare, taste and see that the Lord is good. This language is experiential. It's not, it's not theory. It's not information. It's taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, the other day, I've got a sore shoulder at the moment, and it wakes me at night a couple of weeks ago. I woke in pain about four in the morning. I couldn't get back to sleep, so I went for a walk, Uh, I took a cup of Earl Grey, I clutched my Earl Grey and went for a walk, and just started praying. And I I just felt that the Holy Spirit heightened my senses. It doesn't always do this, by the way. And um, everything around me was just almost like pointing towards the goodness and generosity of God. So the Bergamot in the... Earl Grey. It suddenly tasted much better, and as I as I walked through, I was uh, touching the leaves and the trees. I was touching the. I was a bit weird if anyone was watching me, and you know, I was, I was, I was looked out at the, the moonlit skies and the moon shining on the pond, and, and it was just like wow. And I was just overcome with a sense of awe and wonder at the the creativity and the the the, the presence of God was with me. And I and you know, I was recalling even my wife not even my wife, I was recalling my wife as she lay in the bed and I was just so thankful for the generosity of um, her as a gift to me and the beauty of her that she is to me and all these things were just coming together and signposting towards God and, and, and as I carried on, you know, I, I was completely unaware of my pain in my shoulder that woke me because a higher force, a higher presence was at play at that moment. Yeah? And... Before, I just want to say, this doesn't happen to me every day. This morning, I went out, and my nose was running. I tripped over a broken log. I spilt my Earl Grey all over my hands. You know, it's not like that every morning. Just to be real with you, you know. But the point is, we need to make time. Moses had to hide in a crevice in the rock, and the goodness of God passed by him. And I think... I want to encourage you to make time to hide yourself away somewhere and, and, and wait for God to reveal his presence to you. It changes everything. It really does. Are you prioritising? Moses prioritised the presence of God. He was known to know the Lord face to face. He knew the Lord face to face to get that name. He, he must have prioritised them. you know, getting in front of Jesus, spending time in his presence. So objection two, that's objection one. Objection two, Moses asked God, what is your name? Who are you? There's often so much power in a name. It might be a clue to a family, a family trade or a, uh, occupation, i.e. Smith or Fletcher or Cook, or even a personal trait of a, or appearance of someone like Armstrong or Red or Short. Some names names are notorious with uh, either good reasons or bad reasons. Now, the Egyptians had many gods with many names. So Moses wanted to be sure from what authority he had been sent to the Israelites. And God's response was this. I am who I am. I am sent you. And actually, wonderfully, a couple of people prayed that out. This morning, Keith and Valeria said, I am. And these two words, I am, he is. He just is. He isn't created or sustained by any other entity. He's eternal. He's always existed outside time and space. He who is, was, and is to come Remember that we have been sent by the great I Am. He's the author of life. When we're sent by him, we can have this assured weight and confidence and authority that has come behind us, propelling us forward, that we're sent by him. I'm reminded of when David kind of declares to Goliath, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel. We now carry this new name. Moses, by his name, he might have been concerned that he would have been, or fearful that he might have been found out about his upbringing. They might have discovered that he was brought up by Egyptians in in Pharaoh's house. You may think that your family name or upbringing, your name, might disqualify you. I want to tell you this morning, that you have a, You now bear a new royal name, a new royal family name. Ejection number three. In chapter four, verse one, he says, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? I'm just going to grab some water. What What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And part of God's response was this. What is that in your hand? Going to draw just a very simple point from this one. Um, I could have said more, but basically, I I just felt God saying, He wants to ask you, What's He put in your hand? What's He put in your hand? Now, Moses had a very ordinary um, wooden staff in his hand, a shepherd's crook. Pretty unassuming. But God says, What is that in your hand? And this is what God chose to use this very unassuming, ordinary item. God chose this to demonstrate his power through this. We need to accept what he has given us, whatever it is. Maybe it's five small, shiny pebbles like David. Whatever is in your hand, God can use. Don't look for anything else, don't look for anyone else's gift. Don't look for a shiny lightsaber when you've got a stick. Don't look for, you know, like Saul's armor, the armor and the sword of Saul. That's for him. That's not for you. I thought was just a few things, just, um, just reminded of a few people here that have got things in the hand and they're using them for God's glory. They're using them to... Uh, Allow God to use them through what God's placed in their lives. So I thought, actually, of a wooden spoon. Helen, you use that for God's glory. I I, I thought of things like um, a pen. People use that to write letters, to write poetry, to do things. Maybe God's put a screwdriver in your hand. Maybe God's put a teapot in your hand, and you're to be hospitable. Maybe there's a chequebook that you have that God wants you to uh, use. Maybe there's some car keys that you've got. And God's saying, I put that in your hand. Use it. I can use it and demonstrate God's power through these simple items. Allow God to demonstrate his power through these things. Objection four. I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, we actually know that this didn't mean that... um, Moses was uneducated. Later in Acts, it says Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians in Pharaoh's house. So there was something, though, despite this, that made Moses doubt. Something within him caused him to step back from this responsibility of this calling. Maybe fear gripped him at the thought of public speaking. Maybe his mind goes blank when he's in front of a crowd. Words get jumbled. His tongue goes dry and sticks to the roof of his mouth. See what happened there? Things just don't come out properly, do they? And, or he just had real difficulty in expressing himself verbally. Now, maybe this is a part of Moses' life that you can really identify with. I know I certainly can't. Maybe when trying to share your faith, maybe when you want to share stories of God's goodness to your friends, or maybe here on a Sunday, or in your group meetings, or at the workplace, you're overcome with fear, and you step back. Now, unfortunately, we can't avoid speaking out. And... I want to tell you that speaking out is actually integral to the gospel and what we're called to do. We're repeatedly asked to preach the word, to proclaim good news to the poor, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You can't do these in your head. They have to be done through your mouth. So what was God's response to this objection he says i will help you speak and i will teach you what to say in luke 12 12 it says this do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say for the holy spirit will teach you at the time what you should say now i don't know if you can identify with um school reports uh, maybe for yourself or some of your children, where they say, oh, lovely guy, lovely girl. It would be just really nice if they contributed more in class. Um, but maybe they could just put the hand up occasionally, contribute to the, dis- ch- l- l- the class discussion. I know that was true for myself. Not only was that true for myself at school, even when I was a 40-year-old man, in my previous job, I had appraisals where they said, I know... Nathan's got ideas. And in the management team meetings, we would love to hear them more. So, maybe today, your response is to come off mute and open your mouth. Please don't wait to be asked to share, to speak. Let's learn quickly to obey the promptings of the Spirit and speak out. Okay, finally, objection five. After all this, in chapter 4.13, Moses says, send someone else. Moses is still trying to sidestep being used by God by saying, send someone else. Now, this really angered God. I actually think that, rather this being the last response of many of us, this is... Sometimes the first response for us, send someone else. We can, I say this for myself, but I'm sure others can relate, we apathetically sit back and we allow the more gifted, the more able, more experienced, more godly, more popular, younger, older, better looking better at communicating, to be used, when actually God is trying to send you, send you to lead, to serve, to speak out. Maybe you had that response recently when you uh, received the pastoral care letter. You read through it, and your initial response was, I can think of other people that could do this. Send someone else, just like uh, Moses said. This isn't really for me, but I can think of lots of other people to would be good for. I want to gently encourage you to consider how God might want to draw you in and use your unique package of who you are, your experiences, your giftings, even your sins, even your failures, how might God want to use that to draw and bless and nurture and pastorally care for other people in very practical ways in this church? Now, amazingly, in God's profound kind of patience and grace, his response, even though he was angry at Moses, his response to send someone else, he said, he said this. He provided Aaron his brother to Moses. God's response was this. What about your brother? I will help both of you speak and I will teach you what to do. So God will never allow you to work beyond your comfort zone. But I will say it may be uncomfortable, (laughs) but he won't ask you to go beyond your comfort zone. But it's never going to be unbearable. As, As we all know, he sends along his Holy Spirit to come and be with us. We're never in isolation. The presence of God is with us. Plus, he puts us in family. He puts us in church. He provides uh, brothers and sisters and spiritual parents to come alongside us and partner us as we share the gospel. They complement our gifts and they make up for our shortcomings. I just want to praise God for the plurality of eldership that we value so much here. You know, it's, it's, it's great to be part of a team where we complement each other and we share the load and um, we walk in partnership together. So, in closing, uh, the word Exodus in the book that we've been reading literally means way out or exit. And this book catalogues this great escape in history and follows how God used ordinary people to lead ordinary people out of bondage and slavery and into freedom. And when Moses died, there's a moment where, you know, it doesn't just end there with Moses, but there's a commissioning of Joshua. And let me read from Joshua 1 where it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So it doesn't stop with Moses, it doesn't stop with Joshua. I believe this is to us as well, to arise and go over. I recently heard someone say about how they felt God challenging them. You know, they were really praying and seeking God. I want to see a move of the Spirit again. I want to see a move of the Spirit again. Come and do something new. And he just felt God prod him and say, if you want to see a move of the Spirit, move yourself. What a challenge. We're full of the Spirit. We believe we're full of the Spirit. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. If you want to see a move of the Spirit, move yourself and see what God does. Sometimes we can get all a bit religious and say things like, I'm just waiting, waiting for the prompting of the Spirit, waiting for Him just to hear what He wants to say, what He wants me to do. I actually think this is just um, procrastination dressed up in religious language. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, I think we just need to move. I don't think. Anyway, I'll leave it there. 1 Corinthians fifteen nine ten 10 says this. Paul says this of himself. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It's powerful, isn't it? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you say this? That the grace that we have is not without effect. So let's answer this question, who am I? Let's answer saying that but by, I am what I am by the grace of God. The great I am is with me. He has sent me. He'll use whatever is in my hands. He'll help me and give me the words to say and provide others to walk alongside me. And in his wisdom, he's able to use our messed up, broken lives to communicate the good news, this good news, that this good news is relevant to everyone, every broken person. So, I'm ending there. I just wanted to share one picture I had that may uh, speak to a few people. Uh, As I said, I've got a painful shoulder. I've got an impinged nerve or restricted nerve deep in my shoulder. And um, what happens with this? The pain causes you to kind of shield and go in awkward positions. And then what you find is that you get even less movement, and then you find pain comes in different places, in your back, in your hand, in your forearm. And this is apparently what happens. And I felt God wanted to speak through this spiritually, that someone here has, in the past, experienced a painful event. And you've subsequently shielded. And it has caused restricted movement, not physically, but spiritually. It's, it's, it's restricted your freedom and authority and power that God has given you um, through this uh, previous historical painful event. Whether you've just reacted to it and covered and shielded yourself and it's, and it's, it's just making you not move in the freedom that God wants you to know. Amen. So if you want to respond to that, please come and see me and, uh, or speak to someone near you, and we would love to pray for you. Okay. Thank you.